Hey everyone and welcome back to the Live with Rachel podcast. I'm Rachel and today we're going to be continuing studying through the book of Romans and specifically today we're going to be reading through Romans chapter 10 verses 1 to 13. Before I actually start with this episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much to you who listen to my podcast. I really, really, really appreciate your support and I really enjoy doing this virtual Bible study with you guys. I always get comments and feedback through Instagram or the Facebook page or even like from friends who text me or anything like that. I just really feel like I don't really feel alone (laughs) and um, because where I am, we don't really have a lot of Bible study groups in person. So this has been a really great outlet for me to like link up with like like-minded people who also want to study the Bible together. And so I really just wanted to thank you so much for joining me and for being a part of all of this. And I just feel so fulfilled in studying God's word and it brings me so much joy. And the fact that you are listening means the absolute world to me. So I just really wanted to take a moment and really say thank you, thank you, thank you for being my friend and supporting me. And this really means a lot more to me than you probably realize. So thank you for being you. I really love and appreciate you. And I just wanted to Say thank you. Anyway, um, getting back to the episode. So to recap, we just finished Romans chapter nine and we read about Paul's love for the nation of Israel and he was defending God's character by showing the Jewish people that Israel's past history actually magnifies a lot of God's attributes because like I've been saying in previous episodes, a lot of them were starting to shake and waver in uh, the security of their relationship with God. And so out of all of God's attributes, we specifically looked at so far God's faithfulness, righteousness, justice and grace. But today is a new day. It's also a new chapter, Romans chapter 10, as you can tell from the title. And the theme of this chapter is Israel's current rejection of Jesus. So Paul went from God's sovereignty to then human responsibility, but then he continues the theme from the last chapter and he explains three different aspects of their rejection of the good news of being saved through Jesus. So in the section that we'll be reading today, we'll be covering their refusal to submit to God's righteousness and the contrast between his righteousness and our attempts at righteousness and how ultimately God's righteousness is only gained by faith. And also before I really get into it, I just want to define my terms. And so what I mean by righteousness or God's righteousness specifically is that righteousness is an attribute of God's. And we covered this a little bit a couple of episodes ago, but it's describing God as acting always in a way that is consistent with his own character. And his character is described in the Bible and it's very detailed about who he is. So I would highly recommend reading it or studying it for yourself because you'll learn a lot about it and you'll also probably learn a few things that you didn't know before about God and maybe there'll be some things that you'll unlearn about God. But to summarize God's character uh, for the purpose of the context of this episode, I want you to know that God by his nature is good and his goodness is unmatched and because of that we can trust in him and he also cares for those who trust in him also. So he has our best interests at heart and so because of that we can trust in him. So it's it's like a relationship a two-way street. So everything that God does is an expression of his goodness and is designed to benefit his people. And not only is he good, but he is also just. And some people find it hard to juggle between the two. But another word for just is righteousness. And this means that he exists in a state of moral perfection. He is perfectly upright and fair in how he treats his creation, even though some people may disagree. But there are so many more descriptions about God and really getting into this whole concept. But for now, I 
I just want you to focus on that specifically today. God is just, but he's also loving, compassionate, gracious, kind, and merciful as well. And he never fails in any of his attributes, even though sometimes it may appear like they're in contradiction of each other. So I just want to get that out of the way. But now let's get right into it and let's read Romans chapter 10 verses 1 to 13. And I'll be reading it from the New Living Translation. And it says this, Dear friends, my greatest wish and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know they love God, but they don't understand what makes people acceptable to him. So they refuse to trust God and they try to be acceptable by obeying the law. But Christ makes the law no longer necessary for those who become acceptable to God by faith. Moses said a person could become acceptable to God by obeying the law. He did this when he wrote, if you want to live, you must do all the law commands. But people whose faith makes them acceptable to God will never ask, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down? Neither will they ask who will go down into the world of the dead to raise him to life. All who are acceptable because of their faith simply say, the message is as near as your mouth or your heart. And this is the same message we preach about faith. So you will be saved if you honestly say Jesus is Lord. And if you believe with all of your heart that God raised him from death, God will accept you and save you if you truly believe this and tell it to others. The scriptures say no one who has faith will be disappointed. No matter if that person is a Jew or a Gentile, there is only one Lord and he is generous to everyone who asks for his help. All who call out to the Lord will be saved. So given the cultural and religious history of the nation of Israel, you would think that they would be just so excited and eagerly waiting for their savior to finally come and they would be prepared to actually receive him. For hundreds of years, they had known what the Old Testament said and they knew what the Old Testament prophecies were and they practiced the law of Moses every day. So you would think that they would be ready when Jesus finally came, but they actually rejected him. And this isn't to say that absolutely every single person rejected him. They were small groups of people who were still faithful and looked for his arrival. The Bible likes to call them the remnant, but the majority of the people were not ready when he actually did come. And that's reflective in Jesus' parable of the bridegroom and the candles and the oil, if you've read it. But Paul here explains this event and why Israel rejected their savior And I'm sure along the way, we'll probably recognize some aspects that we ourselves can apply to us and our society today. So I'm going to get into it and I'm going to put it into dot points and like, I'm just going to try and make it as simple as possible. So number one, they didn't feel like they needed saving. So in Paul's early days, he actually actively persecuted the church and he probably would have agreed with them and say that they didn't need saving. He thought that Jesus was an imposter and that's why he was persecuting the church. The Jewish people were, like I've been saying, very proud of their heritage and their faith. And they just thought because they were Abraham's physical descendants that that was enough to be saved. They thought that the pagan Gentiles were actually the ones who needed saving instead. But Jesus in his parables pointed out actually several times that this was the wrong attitude to have. Two examples of these parables would be the first parable, which is the parable of the prodigal son, which is in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32. And then also the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, which is mentioned in Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14, I believe. But if you haven't read them yet, I would definitely recommend that you should. Otherwise, you probably won't know what I'm talking about. But just to summarize, the story of the prodigal son is about a forgiving father whose character reflects God's character and the younger son who runs away. And the younger son is supposed to symbolize the lost people. And the elder brother is supposed to represent the self-righteous Pharisees and teachers of the law in that day. And the story ends with the restoration of the believer into fellowship with God, 
meaning the youngest son who, you know, is welcomed back uh, to the family. He's welcomed back to, uh, to the family by the forgiving father, but the elder brother is like really annoyed by it. And then you've also got the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And that one is about how the Pharisees thought that their own goodness was just so impressive that it could not fail um, in order to make them acceptable to God. And so they held so many like ceremonies and traditions and rituals, and they made a really big public show of their religiosity. And so just they did that just so that other people can see them doing it. And th- these were also people that the Pharisees looked down on. They just wanted their admiration. And so the thing to note in this parable is that, well, sorry, if you don't know what parable means, um, the Pharisees. Pharisee doesn't ask for forgiveness of his sins when he goes to the temple. He doesn't even think that he has anything to confess. He doesn't thank God for anything. But instead, you'll notice that his prayer is all about him. But then in comparison, the tax collector who is supposed to represent the sinners here or, you know, someone who is a traitor to their own people, uh, they were just seen as outcasts because tax collectors were employed by Rome to collect money from the Jewish people. And sometimes they kept a little on the side. So they were seen as not very good people, these tax collectors. And so this tax collector, he goes to pray and he actually stands really far away because there were different levels to the temple. There was like the outer uh, sanctum, then there's like the inner sanctum. And depending on where you sat on the societal ladder, you can only like come so far into the temple. So this tax collector actually stands quite far away from where you're supposed to be in the temple, I suppose. And he prays about how unworthy he is before God. And he's just so overcome uh, with the error of his ways that he has a change of heart, meaning that like he repents, he has a change of heart and mind. That's what repentance is. And he asks God for mercy. And his is the kind of prayer that God actually wants to hear. And his attitude is exactly what God wants from everyone who comes to him. So in summary, Israel was very much like the arrogant Pharisee and the upset elder brother from the stories. They didn't think that they needed spiritual saving, just physical saving from Rome, who was the ones oppressing them. So number two, they were passionate for God. So ever since Israel was freed from being enslaved to Egypt, they were cured of their idolatry. They, they were saved. It was really drilled into their heads. So they were cured of idolatry and in their synagogues and temples, they worshipped God only and the law of Moses was what was taught. And they were so passionate though that they chose to quote, improve God's law. And so they started adding their own traditions and they made them equal to the law. However, the passion wasn't based on knowledge or wisdom. Essentially, it was just heat without light. And sadly, many people today are making the exact same mistake. And I'm sure you can see that just looking around today. They thought that their good deeds or even their religious looking deeds would save them and that they would be considered to be good enough people to get into heaven. But it's actually these deeds that stop them from being saved altogether. And I'm sure they're absolutely sincere about it. Like there are so many people who go to church and they're really sincere about it, but sincerity will never save a person. Romans chapter three, verse 20 says, God doesn't accept people simply because they obey the law. No, indeed, all the law does is point to our sin. Okay, so point number three, they were proud, arrogant, and self-righteous. So Israel was ignorant of God's righteousness and not because they have never been told. Like I said, they taught the law of Moses, but because they actually refused to learn the law of Moses and put it into their hearts, they had it in their minds, but not their hearts. And there is an ignorance that comes from maybe a lack of opportunity, but Israel did have many opportunities to be saved. They had so many chances. If you look throughout history, in their case, though, it was 
an ignorance that came from a willful, stubborn resistance to the truth. And they just wouldn't submit to God and what he said. They were proud of their own good actions and their religious self-righteousness, and they just wouldn't admit to their own sins and trust in Jesus, who was their savior. Number four, they misunderstood their own law. So if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that everything in it points to a savior coming, that it points to Jesus. And so it told them that they were sinners in need of a savior and that's why a savior was coming. But instead of letting the law bring them to Jesus, they worshiped the law itself and they rejected their savior. The law was supposed to be like a road sign pointing the way, but it could never actually take them like a GPS or something like a car to their destination. The law can't give righteousness. It only leads you to the savior who can actually give righteousness. Habakkuk chapter two, verse four says, I, the Lord, refuse to accept anyone who is proud. Only those who live by faith are acceptable to me. So for us today as Christians, the law has ended. The righteousness of the law is being fulfilled in the life of the believer through the power of the Holy Spirit, but the reign of the law itself has actually ended. We're not under the law, we're now under grace. Colossians chapter 2 verse 4 says, God wiped out the charges that were against us for disobeying the law of Moses. He took them away and nailed them to the cross. So God's way of being saved isn't complicated or difficult. We do not have to die and go to heaven to find Jesus because he is near us today. The good news of Jesus is available and accessible to us and everyone today. We don't need to perform difficult things in order to be saved. We don't need to do good works. All you need to do is have trust in Jesus. It is very, very clear Salvation is by faith. We believe in our heart and receive God's righteousness and then confess with our mouths openly, publicly, and without shame that Jesus Christ is our savior, then we are saved. So I'm going to read the last three verses again, but this time in the Amplified Bible to really, really make it abundantly clear. For with the heart, a person believes in Christ as savior, resulting in their justification, that is being made righteous, being freed of the guilt of sin and acceptable to God. And with the mouth, he acknowledges and confesses his faith openly, resulting in and confirming their salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him, Whoever adheres to, trusts in, and relies on him will not be disappointed in his expectations. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord over all of us, and he is abounding in riches for all who call on him in faith and in prayer. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord in prayer will be saved. So I just want to end with that. Salvation is for everyone. It's open for everyone. There is no difference between people in salvation. There is not a difference between anyone in salvation. There are no steps to salvation. There's no pillars, no sacraments, no rituals, nothing. Just believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to be separated from him because of sin. He's made a way for that to happen. He took on human form and died in our place, taking on the punishment that we actually deserve and he forgives us. God has completed the quote steps himself and offers salvation to anyone who will receive it from him. And that's that's where I want to leave it today. I really want to drive it home. Salvation is for everyone. It's open to everyone. So I really hope that this episode encouraged you. Maybe it dispelled some beliefs about what it means and how do you how do you become saved? How do you go to heaven? So I hope that it gave you a lot to think about and hopefully uh, you learned something new about the Christian faith or about Jesus. But I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and I will see you in the next one. Bye, everyone. <laughs>